Welcome to Cyber City Circuits Presents Data Sheet Digest. My name is David. I am your host today. Today's episode is about the Sun LED XZMDKCBDDG45S 9 RGB Reverse Mount LED Data Sheet. Show notes are available through the World Wide Web at www.datasheetdigest.com. If you would like to support the show, you could do so by leaving a written review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. First, we'll go over the history of the part. Then we'll give a brief summary of the part and its data sheet. Finally, we will critique the data sheet with our proprietary 555-point analysis system. The date on the data sheet we are using today is November 26, 2020. There are some references to the right side of the footer. They read... XDSB4904 followed by V11-Z. And then it says that the layout is by Maggie L. Shout out to Maggie L if you can hear this. Thanks for listening. Sun LED is a LED manufacturer headquartered in Hong Kong with offices in the US and Malaysia. According to their website, www.sunled.com, the company was established in 1989 with the name Sunscreen Company Limited. Sun LED has three manufacturing facilities in Shenzhen, China. They established the Malaysian office in 1991 and the U.S. office in 1995. The company's U.S. presence can be found on the World Wide Web at www.sunledusa.com. The Sun LED XZMDKCBDDG45S-9 RGB reverse mount LED comes in a PLCC4 package and measures 3.2 millimeters by 2.8 millimeters. This RGB LED isn't addressable like a NeoPixel WS2812, etc. that you might be familiar with. This LED has three discrete LED PN junctions all within the package. Starting on page one of the Sun LED XZMDKCBDDG45S-9 RGB reverse mount LED data sheet. The data sheet says that this part is ideal for indication light on handheld products. It also says the LED comes 2000 units to a reel, and this is important for a few reasons, and one of those is it helps detect counterfeits. If you order a reel of these from an unknown vendor and they come in 1,500 units to a reel or 1,000 units to the reel, then you know that they're not genuine OEM parts. One time I ordered 6,000 LEDs from an unknown vendor, knowing that the parts I was ordering came in reels of 1,500 units, and when they arrived, they were 1,000 units to a reel. They were, in fact, knockoff parts. The part comes in a PLCC4 3.2 millimeter by 2.8 millimeter package with two pins on either side. There is a pinout drawing and the drawing is well done. It shows pin one being in the upper right hand corner, which is unusual. The pin numbers go counterclockwise starting in the upper right pin. It kind of feels like the drawing was meant to be oriented counterclockwise 90 degrees, but it was changed later in the production of the document. Not a huge deal, but it's an unusual configuration. And if the footprint and schematic symbol in your EDA software doesn't match up to this configuration, you will have problems. Uh, just a heads up. The LED has a common anode configuration. Let's talk about what this means for a minute. LED stands for light emitting diode. They are diodes. 
Diodes are made up of semiconductor material that only allow current to flow in one direction and not the other. Generally speaking, the two sections are called the anode and the cathode, and the point where they meet is called the PN junction. When the anode of the diode has some voltage higher than the cathode, the diode will conduct. When a light-emitting diode conducts, it also emits light. The voltage it drops when it is turned on is called the forward voltage. When you reverse the voltages, and the cathode has a higher voltage than the anode, the diode will not conduct. The amount of voltage that the cathode is higher than the anode is called the reverse voltage. If the reverse voltage is too high, the force will break through the PN junction and destroy your LED. This LED has four pins, but three separate PN junctions. All of the anodes for all of the LED junctions are shorted together, and this is what is meant by common anode. The other three cathodes for the red, blue, and green LED make up the remaining pins. This means that the anode pin will need to be high when you want any of the LED junctions to display, and then for the colors you actually want on, you would pull those pins down while making the other colors high. The dimensional drawings in related schematic are okay. It would have been easier if pin 1 was in the upper left-hand corner, and the top view drawing was actually labeled top view. These drawings are great, but a few small things would have improved the clarity of the drawings. Next, the datasheet goes over the absolute maximum ratings. A few things to note here is that the maximum reverse voltage for any of the junctions, uh, red, blue, and green, is 5 volts. And the maximum forward current of all three junctions is 30 milliamps. It lists the operating temperature of negative 40 to about 85 Celsius, plus or minus 20%. It says that a relative humidity between 40% and 60% is recommended in the ESD-protected work areas to reduce static buildup during the assembly process. Then it lists the references from a group called JDEC. J-E-D-E-C. I looked this up. It's the Joint Electron Device Engineering Council, and it was originally called JTEC. J-E-T-E-C, which stood for the Joint Electron Tube Engineering Council. It seems that it's a very old, very well-established standardization committee. And then to the right of that, we have the operating characteristics and a few important things to note here. The forward voltage for the red diode junction is 1.95 volts, while the forward voltage for the blue and green junctions is 3.3 volts. And then the forward voltage maximum at 20 milliamps uh, for the red is 2.5 volts and the blue is 4 volts while the green is 4.1 volts. So I want to talk about that for a moment. I've used these LEDs before. Understanding that the operating characteristics of the blue diode junction is 3.3 volts, it can operate at less than 3.3 volts. And later in the data sheet, you'll see where there's an actual voltage range that it can operate in. The thing is, is that it's meant to pass 20 milliamps during its recommended operation. When you run it at a lower voltage, it passes less current. So, for example, I use these with a CR2032 battery, which is 3 volts, and it goes down 2.9, 2.8 volts. And the blue LED just isn't as bright as you would expect. The green's fine, uh, the red's fine, but the blue just doesn't work as well as you would want it to because I can't reach that 3.3 volt desired operating voltage. On the bottom of the operating characteristics, it lists the typical capacitance. And the test conditions it gave for this is zero forward voltage and a frequency of one megahertz. And as we talked about before, diodes are made up of two different materials. And where they meet is the PN junction. And inside the PN junction is the depletion zone. And so at higher frequencies, 
that depletion zone can act as a dielectric, and then the diode itself can start taking on the characteristics of a capacitor at higher frequencies. Often when considering these things, the capacitance is negligible and it doesn't really go into consideration. The red LED junction at 1 MHz gives 35 picofarad. The blue LED junction at 1 MHz is 100 picofarad. And the green LED junction at 1 MHz is 45 picofarad. And below that, we have a table that goes over the light characteristics of each of the LED junctions. It also lists the emitting material. The red uses aluminum gallium indium phosphide, while the blue and green both use indium gallium nitride. It gives a typical luminosity, and it gives the nominal wavelength as referenced by the CIE 127-2007. I had to look up what the CIE 127-2007 document was, and I found that it's a standardization document for the measurement of LEDs. The CIE is a French organization, and it stands for La Commission Internationale de l'Eclairage, or the International Commission on Illumination. This is the second edition document concerning the measurement of LEDs. Moving on from page one, I wanna make a note that I believe that this is an example of a perfect page one. Turn over to page two, we find that it concerns handling precautions of the LEDs. It lists five different precautions that should be made when working with this part. The first one is, Handle the component along the side surfaces by using forceps or appropriate tools. Tweezers. Use tweezers. Two, do not directly touch or handle the silicone lens surface. It may damage the internal circuitry. Three, do not stack together assembled PCBs containing exposed LEDs. Impact may scratch the silicone lens or damage the internal circuitry. When you build a bunch of boards with a bunch of LEDs on it, don't stack them directly on top of each other. Put some foam between them if you have to stack them, or get stacking trays that are made for PCBs to be stored in. Four concerns the nozzle being used by the pick and place machine when assembling this part. It says the inner diameter of the SMD pickup nozzle should not exceed the size of the LED to prevent air leaks. A pliable material is suggested for the nozzle tip to avoid scratching or damaging the LED surface during pickup. The dimension of the component must be accurately programmed in the pick-and-place machine to ensure precise pickup and avoid damage during production. The listing on Precaution 4 is all great tips to help find great tips for your pick-and-place machine. Number five is, as silicone encapsulization is permeable to gases, some corrosive substances such as H2S might corrode silver plating of the lead frame. Special care should be taken if the LED with silicone encapsulation is to be used near such substances. I looked up what H2S is, and it's listed as hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide is a colorless, flammable, extremely hazardous gas with a rotten egg smell. Some common names for this gas include sewer gas, stink damp, swamp gas, and manure gas. It occurs naturally in crude petroleum, natural gas, and hot springs. That's the H2S listing on OSHA.gov. So what it's trying to say is, is that this LED is not suitable for those environments. And I imagine a lot of parts aren't suitable for that environment. Some notes about page two before we move on. 
it's my opinion that there's not good white space management on this page. And it's one line of text and then 30 millimeters of image and then another line of text and so on. Could it have better white space management? Uh, there's a lot of potential. Otherwise, it's really good. I don't see these types of precautions and drawings in a lot of data sheets, and especially in short ones. I mean, five pages, you think that they would be cramming for space in this, but they're not. They have plenty of room to breathe and they're accomplishing everything they want to do in the limited space. But there's a lot of potential here. Going to page three of our data sheet, we find a page just full of fun charts and graphs. When I look at a page that's just full of charts and graphs, in my mind, the first chart and the first graph is the most important. And the chart that they put in the upper left-hand corner is the relative intensity versus CIE wavelength. So remember, the CIE is La Commission de Internationale La Clarage. You didn't know I spoke French. I didn't know either, to be fair, though. It'll show you where the wavelength will vary based on the humidity that the LED is in, which is really interesting. I've never considered that before. I've never noticed that chart before. But it seems that it's just really tolerances that are given uh, for the different colors based on humidity. The next chart listed is the spatial distribution chart. And this chart is a little interesting with its layout. I'd never seen a chart quite like this before, so I had to look it up. And it would seem that this is a hybrid type of chart that isn't used very often. I can't find another example of this specific type of chart used. Normally, spatial distribution is a circle or a half circle. This one is a quarter circle followed by a linear graph of intensity versus degrees uh, the viewer is away. Basically, if you're 90 degrees or greater away from being perpendicular to the lens, you have zero brightness. And as you get closer to being perpendicular to the lens, you go to 100% brightness. And it shows at 45 degrees, you're about 60% of the full intensity. It's a neat chart. It's a really great example of how you can use two different ways to display the exact same data set. So be sure to check it out. Below that, we have four different charts for each of the light emitting junctions. Each light emitting junction has a forward current versus forward voltage chart, a luminosity versus forward current chart, a forward current derating curve, and a luminous intensity versus ambient temperature chart. I want to talk about the first two charts in each set real quick, the forward current versus forward voltage, and then the luminous intensity versus forward current chart. So remember how earlier I was saying that when it's recommending 3.3 volts and you can't quite get it there, you're going to have a lower current. This, this, this shows that. So for example, at 3.3 volts, it's pulling 20 milliamps, but at 2.8 volts, it's pulling 5 milliamps. And if we go to the next chart, the luminous intensity versus forward current, we see that 5 milliamps gives you very, very low on the luminous intensity. And this is most noticeable with the blue, not so much with the green even though they both have identical charts in that respect. Some notes on page three. I really like it. I think overall it's great. I wish that the spatial distribution chart was maybe labeled differently, identified differently, 
I'm not familiar with this specific type of information here. And looking it up, I wasn't able to find other people doing it this way. And I'm sure that this is a industry standard and I'm just missing something. Maybe if I had additional labeling, it would have been easier to read from people that work outside of the illumination LED industry. Something else to note is that the formatting for page three and page four is different. The headings have tack marks that aren't present in pages other than pages three and pages four. Going to page four, it starts out with a thermal profile chart. This is great. I haven't been able to cover this yet because the data sheets I've covered so far don't have it. So let's talk about a thermal profile. When you're trying to reflow solder in a reflow oven, it's all about thermodynamics at that point. The solder paste becomes liquid and it starts acting in ways that a very dense liquid would act and it starts going places and the flux starts evaporating off and it starts going places. And you have to heat in what's called zone. So you will get it up to like a soak temperature so that the internal copper, the layers, and the, all the fills can get warm and toasty. Once it gets warm and toasty, you go above the reflow temperature and then you go into a cooling stage. The solder paste that I use at work is Loctite GC10 and it reflows at 217 degrees Celsius. It says to go above the 217 degrees Celsius mark for about 60 to 150 seconds and then you cool down at roughly six celsius per second this is a generic chart this chart came out of a different document the font used in this chart is different than the other charts and that's okay i appreciate sun led adding the thermal profile chart to the data sheet uh, so i could cover it today to the right of that we have an image of the led that as it's mounted this would have been a really good image to have on page one Below that is the recommended footprint for the soldering. Again, on this part, the upper right-hand corner is pin one, which is unusual. And so you need to keep that in mind when you're laying out the schematic symbol and the footprint. This part would have been easier to use if the pin numbers were present on this drawing or if the pin number started in the upper left-hand corner. Below that, we have the tape specifications. It shows how the part is mounted in the tape. And if you look how it's mounted in the tape, the pin number one is the upper left-hand corner. And then it's rotated clockwise 90 degrees in the footprint. But here in tape specifications, you have a top-down view of the tape. You have an inside view of the tape. And then it also gives you another schematic drawing where it shows that pin number two is the common anode. And the other LEDs go to pin one, three, and four. And it shows how the pin-out numbers are related to the tape. And it shows that it comes in a seven inch reel. And below that, it has remarks, which is generally the tolerances of the parts. It says that the wavelengths are plus or minus one nanometer. It says the luminous intensity plus or minus 15%. And it says the forward voltage is plus or minus 0.1 volt. And finally, we come to page five. And I'm going to tell you that you should go to www.datasheetdigest.com and download the PDF scan of my show notes and look at page five yourself. It's really well done. It's entirely drawings. You have the parts. You have the parts going into a reel of 2,000 units, and you have the reel going into a bag, and then you have the bag going into a box of 20,000 units, and then you have that box going into a bigger box of 40,000 units, and then it shows the label that goes on the outside of the box. And then at the very end of the data sheet, we have our very first hyperlink, and this hyperlink uh, is for additional technical notes.
I went to the link and it leads to a PDF document. I'll link to the PDF document on the show notes at www.datasheetdigest.com. And it's a really great reference. It explains what all the different test criteria are, and then it defines the related standard. And also shows you what the different bin codes mean. The Sun LED technical notes document could take up an entire episode on its own. And we may do that someday. Check it out. And now it is time to go over the datasheet evaluation analysis report for the Sun LED XZMDKCBDDG45S-9RGB reverse mount LED datasheet. The first section we grade on is presentation and accessibility. When I search for this part number on Google, it comes up with a DigiKey listing for this part number, and that has the datasheet listed, uh, which is nice. It made it very easy to access. There's a single hyperlink at the end of the document, and I do see where there's an opportunity to have more that could link to some of the reference documents that they do refer to. Overall, it got a 66 out of 75 points. For organizational layout, there is no table of contents. The datasheet structure's overall pretty good. It has consistent terminology. Uh, for clarity information, I gave it seven because overall it's doing great. I do think that there's room for improvement when it comes to the spatial distribution chart. Also, there is some confusion for pin one because it starts in the upper right. For section three, electrical characteristics, it does fairly well. It doesn't give any noise characteristics or dynamic characteristics. I imagine there isn't much of a need. For electrical characteristics, it got 69 out of 90 points. Nice. Section number four, functional description. It does very, very well. It got 50 out of 75 points. For section five, application information, it gives a lot of really valuable information on page one, but doesn't have a lot of reference designs or application notes. Uh, but that's fine. It's not totally necessary. Overall, it did very well, and it received 27 out of 60 points. For section six, we have quality and reliability. This document refers to a number of different standards for multiple different organizations. It doesn't include things like life cycle information, burn-in screening procedures, etc. It received 39 out of 75 points. Section number seven is packaging and handling. It has great drawings. It has great storage and shelf life information labeling and marking information, uh, it receives 28 out of 30 points. Section eight, support and documentation. It does have other documents that it refers to, and it has the hyperlink at the end of the data sheet. It receives 34 out of 60 points. Section number nine, update and revision control. It doesn't have any, so it didn't receive any points. Section number 10 is overall impressions. I think this is a great data sheet. I think that it's laid out very, very well other than the pin number one being in the upper right-hand corner. And the spatial distribution chart is a little difficult, and it appears to be non-standard. I really liked it. I thought it was very interesting, and it brought a lot to the data sheet. I just wish that maybe there was a little bit of additional labeling or something with it to make it more accessible. Overall, this data sheet receives 363 points out of 555. Well, that's it for this episode of Datasheet Digest. If you would like to support the show, please leave a written review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. All music is provided by Vexagon in Augusta, Georgia. We can be found on Twitter at Datasheet Digest, and all show notes are available through www.datasheetdigest.com. Please consider Cyber City Circuits for your U.S.-based PCB assembly and design needs. Remember, friends, always be positive, avoid negativity, and live grounded. I'll see you.